Hello, I'm Gay, and I'm your host, Geraldo Rivera. You're tuned in to Geraldo's Edge Game, episode 25. Congratulations, you made it. <laughs> Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk? 25 hours plus of my life dedicated to this. Um, congrats to me and congrats to you for sticking by, you know? Uh, if last week's episode didn't uh, offend you too much, I, I've had some time to reflect and I realized last week I, I was very, I was just very aggressive. And I, I don't think it was necessarily appropriate to be that aggressive to get my point across. However, I hope that my display of passion helps you understand how, how passionate I am about such an issue. And <clears throat> during this period of reflection I've had over the past week, I've spent a lot of time reflecting, thinking. I spent some time at a, a stoner clout weed festival called Smokers Club Fest. And it reminded me being surrounded by so many cool, hip, open-minded, patient weed smokers who have not stopped smoking since they were fucking 14 and now they're 30 and they still smoke weed every day if not more than once a day <clears throat> and it reminded me being around these enlightened people how less chill I've gotten how less patient less uh, um, tolerant I've become, seemingly, less attentive. And, and, you know, weed makes you really pay attention to those little details. It gets you in a funk where you realize the world is pretty dark. It's pretty fucked up, and that's why you're high. And I've just lost sight of that. I, I forgot why I smoked weed. I stopped smoking weed. And look at me now. Now I'm a degenerate. Now I'm a fucking waste of space now that I've stopped smoking weed and I can't tolerate anyone different than my myself. You know? And those people at that festival, they, they have it figured out. They know exactly what they're doing. They know where they're going in life and they're, and they're going there. They're, they're doing it. Um, and you're probably listening to this and you're probably high 
right now. And I respect that. And I, I, I'm jealous. I think I may have gotten a contact high at this festival. I did not purposefully smoke anything. Uh, as far as I'm aware, what I breathed in was mostly dust being kicked up in the pit. It was dust and perhaps some weed particles in the air. All the weed everyone dropped, all the, all the vape pens, maybe those particles got kicked up and uh, I breathed them in very deeply. And I may have gotten a little bit high. Now this is a good thing because one, I'm not employed, so it doesn't matter. And two, as it should be, and two, it helped me realize that in my whole rant, my rave, my venting session about defending myself, about how I'm not homophobic, how I'm not racist, you know, I, I, and how I'm not a bigot, I neglected to mention that I am also not sexist. And it's weird that the, 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 my, my, my former fan, my ex fan who wrote the review of my only fans neglected to mention the fact that my content may or may not, depending on your gender at this moment, may seem a bit sexist. Now, against what sex, you might ask? I leave that up to you. Can I be sexist towards men? Some would say no. Can I be sexist towards trans men? That's for you to decide. But I, I, I wanted to address it. I didn't, I, I didn't want to leave any stone unturned. Because when I look back on this someday, when you look back on this someday, I want to be proud. When I'm on my deathbed and I'm showing the hospice nurse what I used to do for nickels and dimes, and how I ended up getting AIDS. And <laughs> I, I want something to show to show for it, you know? All the hard work I put in. Okay. When I'm in hospice at age 40. I understand I spent 
quite a few episodes of this show discussing girls that I have crushed on. If you're not familiar, crushed is synonymous with crushed. I crushed on these women, these females, as some may say. And admittedly, this series of videos is not very, uh, doesn't reflect well on my, my image as a, as a, as a feminist, as a fifth generation feminist. And understandably, the times I reflected on in those episodes was when I was not a feminist. I was not enlightened. I was in a dark place. And those episodes were meant to exhibit that not only for the public as if they didn't know, but also for myself um, to understand who I am and how I actually feel about not only women, but bitches. Okay. Now, I hope at least what you get from it is that I don't hate women. I don't. I do not hate women. Now, with that said, do I like women? Yes, I do like women. But do I love women? Hmm. Now there's a thought. You like, but do you love? I was seeing a girl, a woman, for the past month or so. Very nice woman. Very not older woman, a little older than me. Not old, but older than me. Very nice, very kind, very sweet, but Filipino. Now, you may be aware that Filipinos are a little bit insane. They're, they're crazy. They're neurotic. Like the majority of Filipinos, male and female, are, are, are diseased. And I've spent a lot of time looking into the cultural implications, some of the root causes of why and how... Because I, I don't think it's entirely biological. I think there's something else going on with just the culture of being Filipino that is truly, truly throws people off. 
And this woman, this nice woman was no exception. Some would argue it's, you know, they say Latinas are crazy, right? They say, don't, don't date a Latina girl. Well, date a Latina girl. She's insane, but the sex is great. Supposedly that's, <clears throat> you know, which is what I hear. It's what I hear in San Diego. Mexican girls are crazy, but the pussy's fine. It's fine. They're shaped like apples, but they're they're fine. <laughs> they're shaped like L crab apple, but the pussy's great. Um now I, I'm speaking for all Hispanic here. I was, I'm referring to all Hispanic folks. Uh, when I reference the fact that, you know, clearly the Philippines has, was occupied by Spain, Spaniards for a good period of time and were influenced heavily by a lot of the culture. And I'm sure inherited some of that, that, that craziness. And along with that, some of that crazy, ass pussy okay it makes sense it makes sense to me not to say other races don't have potential to be insane but i think the pairing of insanity plus great pussy really has roots in the latinx community <clears throat> which which you know may have just branched out to all to all of humanity who knows who knows um but i i just know filipinos definitely definitely that's a dominant gene that whether it's a gene or whether it's just something passed on from mother to daughter father to son the thing is is that the, it doesn't really work that well in men's favor. The insanity doesn't lead to great dick. In fact, I think it's the opposite for dudes. The insanity is paired with perhaps lackluster penis. And I only got half of that. So I don't know. I'm not going to analyze myself. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put myself in this equation in this discussion of, of women because I'm, I am a man and I still identify as a man. Will I always? Probably not. But right now I do. So uh, I shouldn't even be talking. And with that, with that said, I'm going to keep talking. So I was dating this nice Filipino woman. Filipina. Philippinks, if you will. And we met on OkCupid. And I've touched on OkCupid uh, in my talks of other dating apps, and I view OkCupid as a collection of people you would see riding the bus or the train. Just and and this, I got some feedback on that on that bit. And what I'm trying to say is not so much that they look poor or impoverished. It's not. It's not a dig at. Uh, at poor working class women or people it's it's the energy of the people on okcupid 
is the feeling of riding public transportation. It's it's just the feeling of like nobody really looks like they really want to be there. And there's just something really empty, you know? There's something really empty about people on, on OkCupid versus what I've seen on, I don't know, like Tinder or uh, the Meet Me and the uh, Plenty of Fish. Weirdly enough, I've touched on this so many times, but they're all owned by the same company now. They're all owned by Match. So really, I should be saying that on uh, on behalf of all Match uh, licenses, brands, whatever. But something about OkCupid is, is still people from the bus. Now, this girl kind of maybe a little bit of an exception. You know, she had nice teeth. <laughs> for 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 starters, she had <laughs> she takes care of her teeth, which huge th- huge plus for me. It might not be for for you or for most people. I don't know, but she looks like she flosses, and oh my god, you know that's that's hard to find. And when I say flosses, I mean like once a day. I'm not talking like in general, just sometimes flosses. I'm talking like part of the habit. Part of your daily routine. Um, and she's full Filipino and small and petite and looks just like my mom. Just kidding. But maybe it has potential to look like my mom someday. Who knows? Uh, but perhaps I sensed a bit of that. Uh, immediate red flags wearing a Star Wars shirt in one of the pictures and um, but counterbalanced by the fact that there was no mention of Star Wars, no mention of Disney in the bio in the written bio which is kind of weird is it possible to be a fan of a Disney brand, of a Disney product without loving Disney as a whole. Interesting thought. Turns out my hypothesis was wrong. That that was not the case. Um like like a diet Disney adult, but also a, a Lego adult, which I don't know if I don't know if that's an upcoming adult in the works as if they haven't existed, but something about, I, I don't know. It's, it's concerning a little bit too. I feel like it's an unrecognized disorder to be into Legos, you know, into your twenties and thirties and beyond. I think that falls under the radar a lot, but I, I think you've probably just, probably does get captured under the umbrella of being a a Disney adult, just because I think most of what Lego sells, I think most of the money they make now is, is from star Wars sets that cost $800 and whatever Marvel sets or fucking who fucking cares. But I'm, I'm sure that's, those are the fucking nerds buying Legos um, are the Disney adults. Those are the ones buying the big money makers. When I was a kid, we had the, I had had to beg my mom for Lego Life on Mars with the fucking like 
it was actually pretty cool. It had like a, a pump or like a foot stomp pump where you could just smash it with your hand and it would send like the alien like flying through a tube and shit. But like that shit was like, I don't know my mom balled out, probably like 100, 150, 200. Um, for a kid. And that I thought that was excessive um, for us being fucking broke. I don't know how she found the money for that, but probably selling that good crazy filipino pussy you know what i mean <laughs> am i right fellas <laughs> you fucked my mom <laughs> fellas if you fucked my mom please like <laughs> like comment subscribe um <laughs> and she was excited I, I you know it's not that she mentioned the legos once in her bio it just came up again in conversation about how her sister bought fucking uh, back to the future, like bought three of the back to the future, um, Lego drop so that she could, it was the same one. It was the same exact one, except you could build three different things with the same set, but she wanted to have all three of them built and displayed and kept like that, I guess for like eternity. So she bought three of them or actually four. I don't know what the fourth one was for, but. Anyway, I knew I was dealing with some insanity, okay? I knew I was dealing with some neuroticism. I knew I was meeting, I was, I was, was thinking about sticking my dick in crazy, which they say is the number one rule to, to, to not do. <laughs> uh, and her parents were insane. But I kind of almost like... Kind of like liked the idea of her parents. They sounded like they really treated their children like fucking animals. Um, treated them like what I do. Do I dare say slaves? Treated them like slaves uh, to do their bidding, which is why people used to have children. And you have to respect the culture of your elders is that children are there to work the farm to plow the fields, to wash the clothes, to do the dirt. That is why you have kids. And to also serve you as your body ages and you no longer are able to take care of yourself. That is functionally why you should have children for your own benefit and survival. I disagree with the bigger scope of the, the, the moral and social implications that you, you attach to having children that people tell themselves why they're having children and families. That's all bullshit. Have a kid do your bidding. That's, that's it. <laughs> and that's what Filipinos do. That's what, that's how Filipinos have kids, but that's not how they say they have kids. However, with this chick, with this woman, I don't think her parents hid that fact from her. They were very, they were very clear with her that they were there to serve them, which I have the utmost respect for. However, this seemingly combined with a lot of other factors results in a very um, demented, warped uh, view of the world in this woman's mind. Now, can she blame her parents forever? No, no, she, 
the diff the the problem though is that she was still living with her parents, which again is fine culturally, which is acceptable. Not even just cult. I mean, not even just like for Asians or Filipinos, but like you know, I guess just fucking millennials now. You're just it's totally fine if you're living with your parents, and it doesn't seem like that's gonna change anytime soon, um, due to everything that's happening right now. I don't know if it's ever going to get better. I think, I don't know, guys. I think it's just, it's the end, bro. It's, you know. Man, get the fuck out of your parents' house, dude. Just fucking have an experience, you know? Yeah, you're probably going to move in with some shitty people. Yeah, you might do drugs with your roommates that hardly pay the rent. Yeah, whatever. But, like, get the fuck out. Do it for a fucking year. I don't care. Just like. I'm just talking to you people that have not left, have not lived out of your parents' house longer than like a year. College does not count. That does not count for most people. Unless you spend college not also not talking to your parents and then not returning to your parents' house afterwards. Go, go away. Go leave. Go be broke. Go be homeless. Do anything but be in your parents' house for another year in your 20s. Okay, definitely leave at some point. Get the fuck out of there. That's all. Now, this girl. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently has parents that hate her and has made it. They, I guess they've reached a point where they're okay with still having their daughter live with them, both their daughters. Hey, and also if you're listening to this, I should mention that she is aware of my ex videos. She's aware of my porn career. She was made aware very early because I was trying to figure out how can I insert this into a conversation? You know, how do I approach it? And she took it really surprisingly well. Um, and has told me that she has watched this or something or at least seen the thumbnails. And so if she ever decides to watch any of the videos, sorry that I'm kind of doxing you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. The point is, we had some fun, and unfortunately, she was too nice. Now, I don't know if I consider this part nice, but... She was a little clingy. She had dated a lot of dudes, military, uh, who did not treat her very well and caused a lot more insecurity in this person than they, on top of what they may have already had from their parents, you know? Um, and so when she met me, she was run through 
<laughs> and not sexually, just just I think emotionally and her self-esteem was run through. I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it, how you want to say it, but she's kind of a broken person. And that's fine. I'm kind of weirdly everyone's a little broken. Write a song about it, you know? Start a podcast about it. Um, and I think she wanted to try to work that out with me. I'm not that nice of a guy. I'm not that mean of a guy, though. I'm not a Marine. You know, I'm not a cop. <laughs> I'm not a uniformed officer in any way. So, like, that already puts you, like, a couple echelons higher in, in niceness and kindness. Um, less likely to, you know, beat them, ideally, in most cases. If you look, if you look at the numbers, <sighs> I think, um, but yeah, I, I realized I, I mostly dated like nice girls. I've dated mostly nice women, nice, relatively wholesome, loving. And this girl was no exception. She seemed very careful with her words, very, very submissive, very apologetic. I think apologetic for what, you might ask? Just for anything, just for existing. And some men may really like that. And I, you know, I even mentioned this to her that perhaps. The point is, I had to break it off with her. I think there's some guy out there that will really love how stereotypically submissive and apologetic she is for being a fucking woman. Um, but unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm like woke and shit. And like, I don't believe women should apologize for being women anymore. Um, and that's just the tea. That's period, period, period. That's exclamation point on God. But I really had to reflect and think, hold up. Do I really like, do I really like nice women? Do I like them polite? <sighs> See, the thing is, here was the kicker. Here's the reason why the moment I decided I needed to break up with her was that I, the day I was even thinking about calling her to have this talk, to not necessarily break it off, but to at least discuss it, was the day I, I kind of felt anxious, apprehensive, thinking about when I should call her after she gets out of work. And sometimes when I get that anxious, I end up lying down and taking a nap. And right here on this bed, right here behind me, I took a nap. And 
had not talked to her that day. She had texted me, but I was waiting to text back until I was kind of sure what kind of tone I was going to have uh, texting back. And I woke up to her in my house here. She had, she had let herself into my house and then shook me awake with no prior notice that she would even be one coming to the house or two letting herself in or three shaking me out of my sleep. Do I blame her? Not at all. My door was wide open. <laughs> I'm just, I was just asking for it. You know, I'm, it's not like I'm a woman. I'm a man. So you're absolutely welcome to just come into my house and molest me because I'm not oppressed at all. And uh, in that moment, I was really, there was something that drew me to her because it was kind of rude. But what the turnoff was is that she didn't mean it to be rude. She was there to be nice. She was there to be nice. And that was what made my dick soft. I thought she was there to be a bitch. I thought she was going to wake me up and 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 rip me a new asshole and honestly that would have been nice for her to have been a bitch to me in that moment would have been nice i would have liked that i like a little edge i need <sighs> see what she did was crazy but it was the wrong kind of crazy it was the kind of crazy that is not secure in who she is. It's the insecure kind of crazy. It's the insecure neuroticism, the kind that makes them act irrationally because they are not comfortable with themselves. The kind of crazy I want is the kind of crazy that's confident, that knows or may not know what it is, but is not ashamed of it. If you're going to be crazy, you have to own it. And at age 29, you have to own it. You have to know what it is by then. You have an excuse if you're still kind of early and realizing you're fucking insane. But by 29, by 30, you should have it. You should know. You should fucking know. I think most... Uh, most mental illness, a lot of the big ones, they show up pretty by then into early adulthood, maybe later in your 30s. But you should, you should have inklings, okay? You should have inklings based on the kind of people you hang out with, the kind of people you date, the kind, your, your relationship with your parents, anything. There's so many factors, right? I, for one, have known I'm insane neurotic since i was like 18 <laughs> and i and clearly i've done nothing about it and that's owning it but 
But this girl, it's just, yeah, she was here because she was insecure. Not because she wanted to be, not because she wanted to express herself the way she really should, which is to scream, to slap me, to take advantage of me, to manipulate me. She was the kind of, mm, she's, the thing I like though about her is she's very guilt. She was very guilt trippy, and that's part of the apologizing. That's the part of the apologetic nature of the Filipino, of the Filipino woman, and it reminded me of my mom, and that's what got me hard again. Is just apologizing, and what's good about apologizing is sometimes you don't have to specify what you're sorry for. And you just let the other person fill in the blank. But I made a point to ask her to say what she was sorry for. And that kind of ruined the fantasy and the illusion and whatever for me. So I can only assume with no other context, if you're apologizing profusely, I'm just going to assume it's because you're apologizing for being a woman and you're apologizing on behalf of all women, probably. Um, but yeah, she showed up in my house. She was crazy. Had to break her, break her off. The lesson here, and why I'm telling you this very long story, uh, is to prove a point. I like women, but I love bitches. I love bitches, but I only like women. And I don't hate women. And I don't hate bitches. That's all I had to say. I found this book in my, my the last house I lived in had many, um, treasures to be found in the garage left over by my landlord's middle-aged daughter. Many, many interesting works that clearly were made to inspire and develop many aging women, many failing women to turn them into winners. And I found that this one is the quintessential how to be a girl boss guide. Now, I know it's intended for women, but hear me out, fellas. Definitely give this a read. This is how women think. And this will be your greatest tool is knowing how they think, where they learned how to be a bitch.
And not just any bitch, but a fucking bad bitch. Honey. Slay. First of all, chapter one. Slay. <laughs> now, you may already know what that, what that chapter is about. And you're welcome to uh, check this out on your own time. But I just wanted to read what I found to be some of the most important information. Um, but I'll let you decide what you want to take away from this. Let me just read some of the chapters for you just so you get an idea of what to expect if you decide to pick up this uh, book. Chapter one. From Doormat to Dream Girl. And it includes a lot of uh, rules. Many rules that you may find for Sigma males. I think this is the honest Sigma female book. I think this is a Sigma female vibe. It has many of the golden rules that you've probably not heard as a woman. As a nice, hot, sexy babe act like a prize and you'll turn him into a believer she has that je ne sais quoi meet the new and improved bitch chapter 2 why men prefer bitches Cracking the code, what every nice girl needs to know. The thrill of the chase. The mama ho complex. The no cage rule. I think I will start with chapter three. The candy store. How to make the most of your feminine and sexual powers. I think that's most appropriate for my viewers. Sex is like a small business. You gotta watch over it. Quote from Mae West. Not related to Kanye. One jujube at a time. <sighs> if you look at the run-of-the-mill survey of what men find attractive in women, you'll get the basic, boring, predictable answers. Studies have concluded that what men look for is appearance, chemistry, and the way a woman carries herself. What a shocker. That's actually written in there. That's not my reaction. Then you turn the page. Buy a new lip gloss. Pluck out all of your eyebrows and draw them back in. Stick three vials of collagen in your glossed up lips. And this will get him eating out of your hand, right? Not in this life. You'll be right back where you started. <laughs> but with no eyebrows. Ever wonder why you see a gorgeous guy marry the girl next door? 
To your eye, she looks plain, but to his eye, she's a natural beauty. It doesn't matter if her most glamorous moment was winning the Miss Pumpkin Patch contest on a farm at age six. When he goes to bed with her, he's happier than a fat rat in a cheese factory. In general, there are two things a woman does to encourage a man to fall madly in love after he is attracted to her. First, she appeals to his imagination sexually. Second, she waits a little while before con consummating the relationship sexually. This brings us to the candy store theory. Don't give up the candy store at once. Give it one jujube at a time. Attraction principle number 21. If a man has to wait before he sleeps with a woman, he'll not only perceive her as more beautiful, he'll also take time to appreciate who she is. What men don't want women to know is that Almost immediately, they put women into one of two categories, good time only, or worthwhile. And the minute he slides you into that good time only category, you'll almost never come back out. It's not that the bitch is slutty or more conservative, it's that she demands that he treat her as though she is worthwhile. And more often than not, it means revealing her sexuality a little at a time. With her demeanor, the bitch is subtly driving that train. Because he perceives her as slightly standoffish, he knows a lot of other men can't get to her. In fact, he's not even sure if he can have her. So he'll rarely get the luxury of being able to assume that she's a good time only companion the doormat is more likely to be perceived as a pushover sexually because she's more likely to sleep with a man for the wrong reasons, and much too soon. It has nothing to do with whether she appears conservative, whether her style is long skirts and a ponytail, and she attends napkin folding class, or she wears sexy clothes and seems like a party girl. The outcome can be the same. In either scenario, if she has sex with a man because she feels she needs to do so in order to win him, he'll sense it and begin to lose respect for her. A man named Brad described this distinction. <laughs> a man named Brad... There are two types of sexy. The woman who is obviously trying to be sexy. Then there's the woman who isn't trying to be sexy. She just is. <laughs> Most guys find the second one to be much sexier. It may not seem like that because the woman who is trying hard will get you to do a double take because she's more obvious about it. 
But the woman who isn't trying to be sexier, and that's the girl you'll take seriously. What is more interesting is that Brad is just out of college. And if a guy in his early 20s saw this with 2020 vision, rest assured, so will most men you meet. The following table shows how a man can quickly make these observations with relatively little information. Note that both types of women exude sexiness, yet one appears needy and the other doesn't. The chart here is a comparison of a good time only woman versus a worthwhile woman. A good time woman talks a lot about sex on the first date or in the first phone conversation, while a worthwhile woman flirts more subtly and uses body language to convey her sensuality. Good time women wears an outfit that is very short, showing leg cleavage and back. Her sexuality is overstated. She follows the pattern of what he sees all the time. While a worthwhile woman shows one physical attribute, or she wears something that's slightly sheer, Ooh, her sexuality seems like it's part of who she is. It doesn't seem forced. Good time woman compliments him incessantly or hangs all over him, while a worthwhile woman keeps him interested by giving him compliments when he's hoping to have sex so he feels he's in the game? Huh? A good time woman wears a black lace teddy for him on the third date, leaving nothing for him to imagine. A worthwhile woman hangs the same nightie on the back of her bathroom door, so he sees it when he uses her bathroom. Then his eyes almost burn a hole through her clothes as he imagines seeing her in it. A good time woman invites him in on the second date. He promised they'd just cuddle. They end up sleeping together, but she ends up feeling insecure about it. He has then had the whole candy store. <laughs> While a worthwhile woman kisses passionately at the door, she'd love to invite him in, but she controls her own urges and tells him goodnight on her porch. How long should you wait before having sex? As long as you can. At the very least, keep it platonic for the first month. This tactic gives you time to learn about him. You don't want to wait until after you sleep with him to learn he's married. Or that he has an ex-girlfriend who has chronic car problems and regularly needs a lift. Or that his first cousin recently dumped him when he cheated on her with her older sister. <laughs> I realized this book was funny. Giving up the candy store one jujube at a time 
isn't about being celibate or virginal or vaginal. It is about ensuring that you look out for number one. It ensures that the man develops a habit of putting forth effort so that you are treated the way you want to be treated. Not having sex right away is about playing your cards right so that small things matter. This is when he'll get a chill down his spine because you gently hold his hand in a public place. Or he'll call you several times just to get a glimpse of you. And in his mind, you are the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. It's all about having that magic spark. And men live for that spark. Attraction principle number 22. Sex and the spark are not one and the same. A sweeter victory. If a man feels as though he has to win you over sexually with his manliness, wit, or charm, he will place a higher value on you. Men are possessive. He likes knowing that other men cannot easily get to where he's trying to go. Like he's Captain Kirk and Christopher Columbus all wrapped in one. He wants to explore new terrain not trampled on by too many men before him. And he judges whether you make the rounds by one thing and one thing only. How quickly you give it up to him. It is true that there are those rare chance liaisons between two people who are generally not promiscuous and it ends up working out well, but this is the exception, not the rule. One of my closest girlfriends, Brittany, is a pharmacist and a beautiful worthwhile woman with a lot going for her. Almost always, she sleeps with a man on the first couple of dates. Recently, she slept with a guy she really liked. Right after they had sex, he appeared to be in his own thoughts. Then he looked at her and asked, Do you do this with all the guys? She recalled how it made her feel. I was mildly insulted. If you have sex immediately with a man, he'll say to himself for a short while, she just couldn't resist me. But then he'll begin to scratch his head and wonder how many other men you couldn't resist. Attraction Principle 23 Before sex, a man isn't thinking clearly and a woman is thinking clearly. After sex, it reverses. The man is thinking clearly <laughs> and the woman isn't. <laughs> so true. When sex happens at lightning speed, the man has achieved what he wanted. The reason he thinks more clearly after sex is that he's relieved and has already attained his goal. Meanwhile, the woman is just starting to pursue her goal. She has unfinished business. Then she chases him and he runs. 
Like it or not, in the beginning, you're subtly negotiating the terms of your relationship. And if you strike a deal too soon, you give up all your bargaining power. The bitch takes her time deciding whether the man is someone she wants to strike a deal with in the first place, and she won't be a pit stop or a notch on a belt. At first, he wants to sleep with you. He doesn't care what you do for a living. He doesn't care what kind of car you drive. He doesn't care that you like a donut and coffee in the morning with equal and non-fat milk. So you have to turn it into something else. When you make him wait, he begins to notice that you are different. And that when he begins to care that you like non-fat milk, not cream, in your coffee. Attraction principle number 24. Every man wants to have sex first. Whether he wants a girlfriend is something he thinks about later. By not giving him what he wants up front, you become his girlfriend without him realizing it. Men like the game that women find maddening. Picture the following scenario. A red-blooded American male is watching a Super Bowl game in which the score is 47-3. to That's not very exciting, right? But if he's watching a Super Bowl game that goes into overtime, now he's on the edge of his seat for three hours. His team triumphs, and he starts screaming, Yes! Yes! His favorite sports idol on TV is now spanking everyone else on the rear while he's breaking out the drinks for a celebration. Ten years later, if you were to ask him about that game-winning final play, he'd describe it as though it happened yesterday. The same thing happens when a woman gives herself over slowly he becomes much more excited about it. This may sound old school, but rest assured it is advice based on countless interviews I conducted with men, both young and old. A perfect example is Nathan. He just turned 25, and he does pretty well with the ladies. <laughs> Nathan. Here's what he had to say, word for word. If she gives it up too soon, we stop with the romance and we stop working at it. And truthfully, we'd rather be working hard at it. We enjoy playing the game, and if it ends too soon, we are disappointed. We even struggle inside subconsciously. We know we want to get it, but we know we want the girl to make us wait. Otherwise, it's a one or a two-time thing, and then you move on. Nathan. Granted, there are some men who don't want to invest any effort. These are the men who subscribe to the three-date rule. This rule holds that if a woman doesn't put out by the third date, the man should stop pursuing her altogether. There are men who truly want to find a woman they can spend time with. However, the three-date rule is for men who have ruled out this option entirely. They just want to hit and run. 
If a man leaves because he didn't score by the third date, it's a clear signal he would have left after getting it anyway. The nice girl is more likely to feel obligated, pressured, or manipulated to sleep with the man early on. She sleeps with him and then believes she'll hook up, she'll hook him with great sex, as though what she has to offer sexually is golden. The bitch understands that the sex only becomes golden when he doesn't get it right away. Don't be misled by the fact that men want it quick and they are accustomed to having it be easy. If given the option, most men would love to know how much it would take the bottom line dollar figure to get a woman into bed. It's almost as if there is an unspoken transaction between the guy and the nice girl in which a barter transaction takes place. Looky here, I'm willing to spend the equivalent of two dinners, a bouquet of flowers, and a movie for a grand total of $255.92, and not a penny more. He budgets how much he can spend and wants to know how much it will cost. The bitch is smarter. She knows that if he's not pursuing her, he'll pursue someone else. So whatever his budget is, large or small, she makes sure it is spent on her and on no one else. In her mind, she's the best investment he'll ever make. The three date rule will fall deaf on deaf ears. Ooh, will fall on deaf ears with the bitch. She'll let the guy walk and she won't barter. He will end up marrying the woman who doesn't play by his rules. She plays by her own. Since she has no problem allowing the words see you later to trip lightly off her tongue, he usually doesn't feel as if he can get away with disrespecting her. Attraction Principle 25 A man intuitively senses whether sexuality comes from a place of security or from a place of neediness. He knows when a woman is having sex to appease him. Unlike the nice girl, the bitch believes that she has much more to offer than just her sexuality. So she has sex when the feeling strikes her, if and when she's comfortable with the relationship. She is plenty sexy, which is precisely why she doesn't throw it out there as if it's all she has. After they consummate the relationship, this doesn't change. He is still unable to predict when he will make love to her. He doesn't know if it will happen Tuesday or Wednesday or Saturday or Sunday. So the mystery and the chase never go away, and he never quite feels he has fully conquered her. And that is because when she has sex with him, it's on her own terms. When sex happens early on because the nice girl wants desperately to hold on to a man, his behavior changes completely. The dinners, the candlelight, the flowers, it all comes up to a screeching halt. Instead of taking her out to dinner and a movie, now he's dropping by unannounced with a video because he already knows what's going to happen. However, when a woman makes him wait and he's romantic over time, the dinner and the flowers keep on coming. Why? 
because he formed the habit of treating her with respect before he got what he wanted. Attraction principle number 26. Bad habits are easier to form than good ones because good habits require conscious effort. Waiting encourages this effort. A quality guy will stick around as long as he is being reassured in two areas. He wants to know that he is sexually desirable to you and he wants to see signs that he is still in game. As long as he can see the light at the end of the tunnel, he'll continue to make his way down the tunnel. However, it won't take much for him to get a mixed message or to feel he's being teased. Therefore, the next section will help you with the delicate balancing act you'll need to perform so he does not feel as though you are teasing him. Now, this chapter, this is all, it's a lot of bullet points. Although this is important, number 28, attraction principle 28. If he makes you feel insecure, let your insecurity be your guide. And number 29, a quality guy fantasizes about a woman who genuinely loves sex. And then there's a whole page here, how to fake an orgasm, uh, the animated guide. This is all the same chapter here. So, yeah, so you can you can check that out on your own time. I will say that I totally identify with some of the things being said here. I, you know, I clearly I disagree with many of the more demeaning. Uh, bits of knowledge that are offered in that chapter and in this book. But I will say in reading that and reflecting on my dating history, I will say that the majority of women that I have dated do sleep with me within about three dates. And sometimes that's even part of the tease. And that sometimes that's even part of the, uh, the flirting that happens on, uh, during those first three dates is, uh, you know, you, you joke about like reserving certain things for certain dates, whatever number it may be like, Oh, I don't, you know, I don't suck butthole until the 11th date or something like that. But when you start saying things like that, it plants that idea that it reminds people of that three date rule that they've probably heard somewhere along the lines, or if they haven't just the concept of like what date is appropriate for anything can be a more general idea. Um, but I would say the majority of women I've dated to put out. And I think that's fair. I don't think it's fair to call it putting out though every time, but, uh, or that they would call it putting out because I also put out. Although I know that when someone does put out that quickly, even before we have sex, as, as we're taking our pants off, 
as I'm sliding my PP in her vagina, I already know this is not going anywhere long-term. That's just where my mind goes. Um, it's not, it doesn't ruin it. Although sometimes it does actually. Sometimes I actually am slightly disappointed that we're both doing that. And you know, you have to reflect it on yourself. You, the guys also, you know, get, putting out, you're giving it up. You're giving out your, your tiny, you're giving up your tiny PP on the second date. You fucking slut. Um, and this is only, I'm only analyzing the heterosexual, you know, man and woman dynamic. I'm not going to even touch men fucking men. I don't think that applies at all to gay men. Not, I think none of this applies. Um, maybe, maybe it does. What do I know? But uh, surely, surely the idea of just waiting to learn about someone who, about who they are, having the patience to learn about who they are for a month before having sex clearly represents that you found someone that you appreciate beyond the sex. Now, whether sex implies that you'll lose interest, as the book mentions, it's more of an anomaly, seemingly, when you hear stories of people who had sex first and then found love later. I don't know where the data is on that, but I will say, in my experience, and this is this might not count because it's my first girlfriend ever, so you know that has a lot to do with it. But we waited to have sex for like two, three years. I lost. I don't, I don't know. I forget the exact time, but at least two years. You dry humped. Two years of dry humping really really get to know a girl after two years of dry humping. And yeah, and I was in love with her. I was in love with her before we had sex, way before we had sex. And the only other girl I dated and felt like I loved was Rachel. And if I remember correctly, we did not have vaginal intercourse or anal. We didn't, we never did anal, but I don't know why I said we didn't have vaginal intercourse. We, did, we didn't have sex until I think a month, at least a month. It must've been at least a month or at least a couple of weeks. Cause I know there were some times where we just did hand stuff. And there was also a time I ate her out and she faked an orgasm. She told me later she faked it. Um, so I know there were occasions where we hooked up and didn't have sex, but nonetheless, I fell in love with her and she was, from my recollection, one of two girls that waited to have sex and wasn't, and then she also wasn't my high school sweetheart. So I, I know you need more data than that to, to really prove the point here, but in my personal experience, this directly does, this does apply. This does apply. Maybe not for the reasons they specify, but um, it, it just so happens that that is the case. Now, am I saying I wish all the other girls waited longer? Hell no. No. 
No, I, I think a lot of like girls I was with, they know the deal and like maybe they weren't interested in me long term either. They just wanted to fuck and, and, and get going. And that's great. But then there's a lot of people who were confused who did want me and fucked me immediately. And yeah, and then there's uh, as as much as I hate this book, uh, when it talks about the spark, I guess it's actually ac- this was meant to be a joke. But after reading this, I'm actually uh, I'm gonna read more, <laughs> I'm gonna read more of it. I'm gonna read more about the mind of a female pickup artist. That is what this book is. This is for female incels. Why men love bitches for f- for female incels for fem cells. This is the Femcell Bible, okay? Pick it up by Sherry Argov. It's written by a woman, surprisingly. <laughs> surprisingly written by a, a cis-het woman, as far as we know. Um, unfortunately, reading that made me really soft. So I just wanted to continue reading a little bit more to see if I can get myself back to where I was thinking about exes who, you know, put out too soon makes me, makes me really sad. What could have been, you know, chapter one, the luckiest guy in the world. I'm going to tell you a story you've never heard before because no one knows this story the way I know it. It takes place on the night of June 12th, 1994 and it concerns the murder of my ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and her young friend, Ronald Goldman. I want you to forget everything you think you know about that night, because I know the facts better than anyone. I know the players. I've seen the evidence. I've heard the theories. And of course, I've read all the stories. That I did it. That I did it, but I don't know I did it. That I can no longer tell fact from fiction. That I wake up in the middle of the night, consumed by guilt, screaming. Man, they even had me wondering, what if I did it? Well, sit back, people. The things I know and the things I believe, you can't even imagine. And I'm going to share them with you. Because the story you know, or think you know, that's not the story. Not even close. This is one story the whole world got wrong. First, though, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Orenthal James Simpson, OJ to most people. Many years ago, a lifetime ago, really, I was a pretty good football player. I set a few NCAA records, won the Heisman Trophy, and was named the American Football Conference's Most Valuable Player three times. When I retired from football in 1978, I went to work for NBC as a football analyst, and in the years ahead, I was inducted into both the College Football Hall of Fame and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I did a little acting too, and for a number of years, I was a pitchman for Hertz, the rental car people. Some of you might remember me from the television spots. I was always running late, pressed for time, leaping over fences and cars and piles of luggage to catch my flight. If you don't see the irony in that, you will. All of that was a long time ago, though, a lifetime ago. As I said, 
all of that was before the fall. And as I sit here now, trying to tell my story, I'm having a tough time knowing where to begin. Still, I've heard it and said that all stories are basically love stories, and my story is no exception. This is a love story too. And like a lot of love stories, it doesn't have a happy ending. <laughs> well, let me take you back a few years to the summer of 1977. I was married then to my first wife, Margaret, and we were about to celebrate our 10th wedding anniversary, but it was not a good time for us. Margaret and I had been on shaky ground for a number of years and at one point had actually separated, but we reconciled for the sake of our two kids, Arnell, then nine, and Jason, seven. A few months into it though, while Margaret and I were in the middle of dinner, she set down her fork and gave me a hard look. What? I asked. This isn't working, she said, and I'm five months pregnant. I knew the marriage wasn't working, but the news of the pregnancy was a real shock. We finished dinner in silence. We were at the house on Rockingham in Brentwood, and after dinner went to bed. Still silent. I lay there in the dark thinking about the unborn baby. I knew Margaret would never consider an abortion, and it made for a very strange situation. The youngest Simpson would be joining a family that had already fallen apart. In the morning, I told Margaret that I was going to go to the mountains for a night or two to think things through, and I packed a small bag and took off. On my way out of town, I stopped at a Beverly Hills jewelry store to pick out an anniversary present for her. We'd been married a decade earlier, on June 24th, then paid for it and left. As I made my way down the street, heading back to my car, I ran into a guy I knew, and we went off to have breakfast at the Daisy, a couple of blocks away. We found a quiet corner table, and our young waitress came over. She was a stunner, blonde, slim, and bright-eyed, with a smile that could knock a man over. Who are you? I asked. Nicole. Nicole what? Nicole Brown. <laughs> How come I've never seen you before? I just started here, she said, laughing. She was from Dana Point, she told me, about an hour south of Los Angeles, and she'd come up for the summer to make a few bucks. How old are you? I asked. I just turned 18 last month, she said, on May 19th. I'm sorry I missed your birthday, I said. This is good. She smiled that bright smile again. Me too, she said. After breakfast, <laughs> I made the two-hour drive to Lake Arrowhead, and I spent the night up there thinking about my failing marriage and trying not to think about the gorgeous young waitress who had served me breakfast. When I got back from the mountains, I went home having resolved absolutely nothing, and a few nights later I went back to the Daisy. Nicole was there, but that my marriage is, oh, was there, and I took her aside. I want you to know that I'm married, but that my marriage is ending. I said, so you know, I'm still technically a married man. I don't know if that bothers you, but if it does, I'm just letting you know that things are going to change soon. Is that the truth, she asked? It's the truth, I said. Later that same night, I stopped by her apartment on Wilshire Boulevard and took her to a party. By the end of the evening, I was hooked. That was June 1977. 
For the next month, I saw her almost every single day until it was time to leave for football. I missed her, and I spoke to her constantly. I also spoke to Margaret, of course, to see how the kids were doing and to make sure the pregnancy was going okay. <sighs> but I was pretty confused. I had a wife back home with a third kid on the way, and I was already falling in love with another woman. <sighs> I came home in time for the delivery of the baby, but split almost immediately after to rejoin the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> the team I was playing with back then. When football season ended, I returned to LA and took a room at the Westwood Marquee, and I found myself pretty much living two lives, one with Margaret as an estranged husband and father of three, and the other with Nicole, my new love. I spent most of my time with Nicole, of course, at the hotel or at her little apartment, and from time to time, when I was called away on business, she'd hit the road with me. Eventually, I met Nicole's family, two sisters, Denise and Dominique, who were living in New York back then, a third sister, Tanya, and their mother, Judith, who lived in Dana Point with her husband, Lou. I didn't meet Lou till later, but that was only because the situation never presented itself. He knew about me, of course, and I don't think he had any objections, and if he did, nobody shared them with me. Nicole also met my kids but I waited an entire year before I made the introductions. I was a little wary for obvious reasons, but Nicole took to them as if they were her own. They liked her too. Before long, the kids wouldn't go anywhere with me unless Nicole was part of it. I've got to tell you, life was pretty good. I felt like the luckiest guy in the world. The following year, I moved out of the Westwood Marquis and into the Hollywood Hills, home of my old friend Robert Kardashian, and I asked Nicole to move in with me. I think everyone saw us as the perfect couple, including Nicole, but as the months turned into years, she began to drop not-so-subtle hints about getting married. I kept trying to put her off, of course, because I'd failed at marriage once, and because I'd seen plenty of other couples fail, but Nicole kept pushing. This led to a number of heated arguments, and from time to time I was sure we were finished, but we survived mostly because Nicole had faith in us, so she believed that our relationship was special and that we could beat the odds, and pretty soon she had me believing it too. In 1979, my divorce from Margaret became final and Margaret moved out of the Rockingham house. I was making arrangements to put the place on the market, but Nicole talked me out of it. This is a beautiful place, she said. All it needs is a little fixing up. She walked me through the house room to room, telling me what we could change and how it would look, and it was obvious that she had an eye for that kind of thing. She ended up redesigning and redecorating the whole place, top to bottom, and it turned out so well that I encouraged her to become a licensed interior decorator. Within a year, she was working professionally. She was happy, sort of. The fact is, we still weren't married, and I couldn't go a week without hearing about it. <laughs> Didn't I love her? Didn't we have a future? Couldn't we have the children now, while she was still young enough to enjoy them? These little discussions often ended in arguments, and I absolutely dreaded them. Nicole had a real temper on her, and I'd seen her get physical when she was angry. So sometimes I just left the house and waited for the storm to blow over. <sighs> Finally, in 1983, we got engaged, we had a big party, and Nicole seemed very happy, but it didn't last. 
Within a few weeks, she was pushing me to set a date for the wedding. I'm tired of being your girlfriend, she kept saying. I want to get married and have children. I've been helping you raise your own kids all this time, and I love them. But I think it'd be nice to have a few of our own. The women had a point, but I just wasn't ready to commit, and it wore her down. Oh, fuck me. Oh, fuck. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking... I'm gonna fucking... Go. I'm gonna come. Ah... So, if anyone asks, I did it. I did it. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Haldor. <laughs> I'm Haldor Rivera. <laughs> Have a good night. Or don't. I don't. I don't fucking care. I love you. <laughs>